How is everybody doing? All right, so as James just mentioned, uh, we are really excited. I'm really excited to, uh, I love new things anyways, but I love beginning uh, new journeys. And so today uh, we're going to launch probably about a four-month uh, long journey uh, through the letter uh, of Hebrews. I'm excited. This is the first time for me. I've never gone through the book, uh, the letter of Hebrews, uh, like this. And uh, beginning of every new thing, new series, uh, I generally ask two questions. Uh, why and what? Uh, why are you doing this? Uh, and what are you hoping to accomplish? And so uh, as we begin a new thing, I wanted to address and ask and hopefully answer uh, those questions. Uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, there's 66 books, uh, 39 old, 27 new. Uh, and Hebrews is one of the 66. So out of all of the letters, all of the stories, all of the books, why would we go through Hebrews right now? And I wrote it down in my journal like this, uh, to know Jesus rightly. And I really wanted you to catch that just simple phrase, to know Jesus rightly, so that our lives would reflect the reality and the grandeur of who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he is doing now. Um, I don't know about you, but there's certainly, uh, there's one thing to say, this is who Jesus is. Like, everybody has ideas about who Jesus is. Uh, all of us here today, we all have an idea. If someone said, who's Jesus, you'd give an answer. If you ask people even outside who don't come to church, uh, who is Jesus, they would have an idea. They would have an opinion on who Jesus is. And what I've noticed often in my life, uh, and maybe you could relate with this, is what we say about Jesus often doesn't compute or is consistent with my life. And so if I say, well, Jesus is God, he's the son of God, he is Lord, he's king, he's ruler, he's savior, he's all of these things. Well, how is what I'm actually saying, how is it actually showing up in our lives? Because if what we say is that's true and we believe those things, uh, then you would think that our lives would look very different. Uh, our relationships would look very different. Uh, and so why we're going through Hebrews right now is I want us to rightly know Jesus so that our lives would reflect who Jesus really is. So we wouldn't have that gap between what we say and how we live. Uh, one author, commentator, theologian, Stephen Gurr, said this, Hebrews transforms... Our understanding of Christ, our Christology. Christology just means our thoughts, our theology about Jesus. So Hebrews transforms our understanding of Christ from abstract theology to intimate relationship. So it's not just enough to know something and have the theologically correct right answer. Uh, if we would know Jesus rightly, correctly, uh, it's going to lead to an intimate relationship with the living God. So in order to rightly understand Jesus, I really would ask that we approach the letter, our time, our study of Hebrews ready to unlearn, okay? Ready to unlearn, meaning there may be some things that you're going to be challenged with. Uh, and you, I, one of the questions that I think we always should be wrestling with and asking of ourselves is this, is what I know, is it true? Is it right? Is what I currently know, is it true? Uh, is it right? A.W. Tozer, and I've said this, quoted him many times, just powerfully said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What you think about God is going to translate and show up in how you live every single day. 
And so if our thoughts about Jesus, thoughts about God are incorrect or off, well, that just simply means everything else in our life will be off. So there have been many things over the years that I've had to unlearn. Now, I don't know where I learned these things, but I came to the point where I need to unlearn that. Example would be, for a better part of my life, I describe myself as a performance-driven Christian. I believe that there were things that you could do that would cause God to look more favorably on you. I believe that there were things that I could do, good behavior, good performance, religious, moral, pure, generous, all of those things that somehow, some way, God would look at my good things and say, wow, that Davis, what an amazing guy. I love him so much more. And consequently, I believe that there were things that I could do uh, that God would say, gosh, what a disappointment that kid is. Now, because I was a performance-driven Christian, I related with God through formulas. And so I would create, concoct formulas that would say, if I do this and this, this is going to equal God smiling on me. God somehow blessing me, somehow God looking to be like, man, I'm so pleased with you. And I would have formulas that were like, but if I do this, coupled with this, then God, that's going to equal God shaking his head. What a failure. What a failure. What a fraud. What a hypocrite. So over the years, I've had to unlearn that God is not a performance-driven faith. He's not called me to that. Uh, He's called me to a relationship, not a formula. And so as we begin... Uh, our time in Hebrews, I would just ask, are there things that you need to unlearn? Are there things that you know that might not be true, uh, that are impacting and shaping how you connect, relate with God, how you relate, connect with people around you? Uh, now, the, maybe it's the obvious thing would be, well, if I knew I needed to unlearn them, I wouldn't be still living with those things as true. And so I, I think a fair question is, how would I actually even know if I need to unlearn something? How would I actually know to say, gosh, what I know is actually wrong. I need to unlearn that so I can learn what is right. And here are two questions that help us, help us know, lead, do I need to unlearn anything? Now, first question would be this, is what you know leading you towards greater worship of God? Meaning, is what you know of Jesus, is what you know of who Jesus is and what he's like and what he's done, is it leading you to every day wake up and say, wow, amazing. Is it leading you, the knowledge that you have of Jesus and his care, his concern, his compassion, his mercy, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his grace, his unconditional outpouring love for you, is it leading you to walk around and say, thank you so much? Is it leading you to walk around with a sense of wonder and awe and amazement of who this God is and this God has invited you to walk with him? Or is what you know of Jesus saying, yeah, well, hope I can get through this day. I hope I can get through this season. I got to go to church today because I just need that like spiritual shot, that java juice like in my arm to hopefully get me fired up. Or is what you know of Jesus already firing you up so every moment, every day, every person, every conversation is an opportunity to say, God, thank you for this. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. Uh, Pastor, author, uh, Sam Storm said it really well. The ultimate goal of theology, theology, study of God, knowledge of God, isn't knowledge, but worship. If our learning and knowledge of God do not lead to joyful praise of God, we have failed. I want you to catch that. If our learning and our knowledge, so what you know, what you think, what you say, what you believe about God, about Jesus, does not lead to joyful praise of God, 
we failed. Like something's off, something's missing. He goes on to say, the only theology worth studying is a theology that can be sung. And so I just love that picture, is what you know of Jesus leading you to sing. And I don't mean you're walking around skipping and humming to yourself. Is it leading you to sing praise to God because of who God is and, and what he's done? And if it's not, then you just have to wrestle. Gosh, maybe there's things I need to unlearn. Maybe there's some things that I'm just believing about Jesus that aren't true because what I do believe is not leading me to sing, is not leading me to this greater sense of worship. Here's the second question for you. Is what you know, uh, and this is to help us understand, are there things we need to unlearn? Uh, Second question, is what you know leading you to look more like Jesus? Because if it's not, then there's something off. There's something that we would need to unlearn. And there are a lot of people that I know uh, and I'm sure that you know, who say they know Jesus, but you look at them and be like, yeah, but you're just mean. You're just like grumpy all the time, and there's like no joy. There's no generosity. There's no like gratitude. There's no forgiveness. Like I know when I do something wrong against that person, they're going to hold it against me, and they're just mean. So What we know of Jesus, if it's not leading us to look more like Jesus, then we might have to wrestle with just the question of, well, gosh, maybe I need to unlearn some things, some things that I'm believing are true that maybe are not true, because what we know of Jesus will lead us to look like him. First John says it well, those who say they live uh, in God should live their lives as Jesus did, meaning if you are saying things about Jesus... Well, it's going to show up in that we look like Christ. We're not Christ, but we look like Christ to those that are around us. So all of this to say as we begin this series through Hebrews, I just would ask that you'd be humble and teachable and really wrestle with, do I need to unlearn some things so that I could learn rightly? So the why is that we would learn rightly so that our lives would reflect who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he is doing. Um, Donald Miller in his book, Searching for God Knows What, said this, God is always changing the way I think of him. I am not saying God himself is changing. I am only saying I think I know who he is, then I figure out I don't know much, don't know very much at all. And that resonates with me because I know this much, and that's probably being too generous to myself. And I want all of us to say, we don't know everything there is to know about Jesus. In fact, I might need to unlearn some things so that I could learn rightly. So would you be willing uh, during today and next week and over the next few months to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek, I'm going to search, I'm going to figure out, are there things I need to unlearn so I can learn rightly? Uh, that's the why. Here's the question of what. What are we hoping to accomplish uh, through our time together uh, in the letter, in the study uh, of Hebrews? And in many ways, it's a really important question, because if you don't know what you're hoping to do, uh, well, I'm not sh- knowing what you want to do is going to help guide through how we walk through this story together. So here is a very simple, but I think a very profound answer of what are we actually hoping to accomplish? And I wrote it down like this, Jesus is greater than everything. What I would love to accomplish in our time in Hebrews is simply this, is that you and I would not only say or speak and not only know, but 
what we say, what we know, what we speak, that Jesus is greater than everything would now impact every aspect of our lives. Now, for some of you right now, life is great. If you were to ask, how's life going? I've got the great season. I love my job. I'm getting money. The debt is gone. I've got the girl. I've got the guy. I've got a good relationship, a good marriage. My kids love me. They still talk to me. Uh, I enjoy, like, where my life is right now. And that's, that's good. But what I would hope for you, for that person, is that you'd be able to say, even though everything is awesome, and I know that's like a Lego theme song, is that you'd still say, yeah, but Jesus is still greater than this. No matter how good I think good is, no matter how much I have, no matter how well this is going or that's going, or no matter, Jesus is still greater than all of those things. Now, for some of you, you would look at the people who are like, this is a good season, and you'd be like, man, this is a horrific season. There's pain, there's suffering, there's disappointment, there's confusion, there's frustration, there's hurt. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know anything, but what I do know, it just hurts. And you kind of look out to tomorrow, next week, and next month, and it just looks dark. Uh, And my heart, my hope for you is that Jesus is greater than everything, would not just be like this catchphrase you write on a sticky just to remind yourself and then grudgingly go through a challenging season, is you'd be able to say, yeah, but Jesus is, he's still greater than even this. Even in my worst moments, even in my despair, even in my... Jesus is greater. And Jesus, knowing that, saying that, believing that, is actually transforming not just great seasons, but challenging seasons. So that is the what, that we'd be convinced of that, and our lives then, in turn, would reflect that. And this is the beauty of knowing, believing, saying, speaking, and living that Jesus is greater. You'll have stories. You'll have stories to tell of why Jesus is greater and what a greater Jesus is doing in your life and through your life. Like, I would hope for all of us tomorrow that the greatest story we tell is not that the Patriots won the AFC Championship game. I hope that the stories that we tell would be so much more profound than a football game. And I hope we do win, but that's, that's nothing in comparison to what Jesus, who's greater than everything, wants to do with you and through you, so much so that people in your life would say, man, you're different. Please tell me, where does that smile, that joy, that hope, that love, that grace, that kindness, that where does it come from? Well, Jesus is greater than everything, and I trust that, and I'm living that, that we would have these stories that reflect that. Uh, If you're familiar with C.S. Lewis, he wrote some great uh, children's stories uh, called The Chronicles of Narnia, and in his third book, Prince Caspian, uh, Lucy's this little girl who's starting to grow up, uh, and she is befriended, Aslan, the Uh, The lion has befriended her, and this is a conversation when they first see each other. Welcome, he said. Uh, Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. Well, that is because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And I would just so love for all of us four months from now to say, yeah, Jesus was was. My understanding was here, but now my understanding is here. Not because he's changed, but because we've changed. And what's changed us is not just saying something about Jesus that sounds good, is theologically correct, but what we're saying is actually impacting, influencing, changing, transforming every aspect of my life, every aspect of my marriage, if you're married, 
of your parenting if you're a parent, of your relationships, of your, everything is impacted that Jesus is greater than everything. So Father God, I pray that as we begin our time uh, today, next week, and in the coming weeks, um, Father, I pray that we would approach you and approach our time in this letter, this amazing letter uh, called Hebrews, with just great humility, great eagerness, great willingness uh, to learn. And Father, if there are things that we need to unlearn, uh, then I pray that we would be okay with that. God, I pray that if there are things that we need to unlearn that are really negatively impacting uh, our lives, how we relate with you and how we relate and even think about ourselves and those around us, then God, I pray that we would learn rightly, Jesus, who you are, what you've done, what you are doing, that our lives would reflect that. And Jesus, I just humbly would ask, not that you would grow bigger, you are greater than everything, but I pray that our vision, our understanding, our awareness of how awesome you are, that you truly are greater than anything or everything that we could give ourselves to. Jesus, you are greater. So would you please guide our time, guide our steps, guide our study, guide our prayers, guide our questions, guide our lives in these days that our testimony coming out of this time, this study uh, of Hebrews would be, Jesus, you are greater. You are greater. So I pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hebrews, uh, here's a, a very quick outline for you. Uh, it's 13 chapters, and it would be helpful to kind of break it down into two sections. Hebrews chapter 1 uh, through chapter 10, specifically verse 18. That's kind of the theological section. And in these chapters, chapter 1 through 10 through verse 18, it's going to be a lot about, hey, this is who Jesus is, and this is what he's like, and this is what he's done. Chapter 10, verse 19, all the way through the end of chapter 13 is what you would call practical theology. In uh, light of every therefore question. So verse 19 says, therefore. Meaning, in light of everything that the author has just spoken, has just said, here's what life should look like. Not could look like, but here's what life should look like. Now, what's interesting about Hebrews uh, is it's set apart from any other New Testament book in that we don't know who wrote it. We don't know to whom it was written, nor when it was written, or under what circumstance it was written. We don't know all of that. And pastors, theologians love to argue and debate about, well, it was written by this person or that person at this time to these people in this situation, but in many ways, Hebrews is silent on those things. We get some clues along the way, but what I love from the very opening two verses uh, is what we honestly need to mo know most about Hebrews as we begin. Verse 1, verse 2 says this, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Long ago, God spoke many times, many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Now, it's not to say that knowing dates and times and authors and context and circumstances is not helpful, it, it certainly is. But what the author of Hebrews wants you and I to know, what he wants his original audience to know is God has spoken and is still speaking most clearly through Jesus. God has spoken. He wants them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God has spoken, he has been speaking in so many different ways through the prophets, dreams, and visions, through his written word. But now, today, in this moment, 
He has spoken most loudly, most clearly, most profoundly, most powerfully through his son. He wants them to know and be encouraged that God is speaking and he's speaking to all of us. Now, the author wants us to understand something, though, about Jesus. Jesus is not just like another means or another vehicle for how God is going to speak. He wants us to know that, yes, God has spoken to us through Jesus, but he wants us to know that Jesus actually is the message. He's not just the messenger. Jesus himself is the very message of what God is saying, what God is speaking. So here's a great question. Is God speaking just to hear himself say something? Like, is he just talking because he loves the sound of his voice? Or is God actually speaking to say something to us about himself so that we might actually respond to him? Now, it's safe to say God's not just talking just to talk. So when it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, long ago God spoke and he's still speaking, that is our invitation from God to say, well, listen, what is it that God has said? What is it that God is saying? What is it that God is speaking? And what I would want to encourage all of us to say, when God speaks, how valuable is that to you? Like when God speaks to you through prayer, through word, through messages like this, through friends, how valuable to you is really the voice of God when God is speaking to you? I think what often happens is God is saying things and I'm like, all right, all right, God, I got, I got it. I got what you said, but I'm going to go check in with a few other people and see what they have to say. And then after I figure out what some friends have to say about this, I'm going to wrestle with what I have to say. And then I'm going to have the collective wisdom of God, but coupled with all of these other people. And I think what the author of Hebrews would want you to know is, no, when God speaks, you treat the very spoken word of God as absolutely precious and absolutely valuable. Now, if we treat it as valuable, then we have to wrestle with the question of, am I actually being a good steward of the very things that God is saying, that God is speaking to, to us? So it's, it's one thing to say, yeah, I value God speaking in his word. I value what God has to say. But we have to push it a little bit further and say, am I a good steward of that? Meaning, am I actually doing the very things that God wants me to do with the life that he's given me? Now, what are we doing with what God is saying to us? And I want to stress us, because God has spoken to a people, not just a person. And I think there's confusion sometimes that, well, God said that to Michael, but he didn't say that to me, so therefore I don't have to do anything. God has spoken to us collectively as a people, as a, as a community. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't speak to individuals. Clearly, there's times when he, he, he does that. But what I would love us to wrestle with is, what are we, okay? What are we as a people, as a church, what are we doing with what God is saying, with what God has spoken? Do we treat it as valuable? And do we steward it well? Steward it well, meaning are we actually doing the very thing that God has told us to do? Now, the beauty of the opening verses here in Hebrews is that we're reminded that God's spoken. So let's ask, well, what is he saying? What is God actually saying to us? And if he's spoken most loudly, most clearly, most profoundly through Jesus, then what are some of the things that Jesus has said? What are some of the things that Jesus has spoken? 
And I would ask you as I run through this real quick is, are these things valuable to you and are you stewarding these things well? I'd give you the thing that Jesus, you are loved. What has Jesus said? He said, you are loved. It says in Romans 5, verse 8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. What has Jesus said? He has said, you are loved. He has said, he has declared, he has demonstrated that you, not because you've earned it, deserve He said, you are absolutely loved. Jesus spoke that. How about this? You're a child of God. This is something Jesus has spoken to us, that you are a son, a daughter. John 1, 12, all who believed in him, accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. You, are my, you have faith in Christ. What he says of you is, you are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love, whom I'm pleased. Jesus has said, you're forgiven. You are absolutely forgiven. So all of this stuff of walking around with your head hanging low and all sad and mopey and dopey and filled with guilt and shame, Jesus says, but I have spoken that you are forgiven. There is nothing between you and me. You are completely forgiven. Romans 8, now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. So what Jesus has said to you is, cut it out. Put a smile on your face. Yeah, you're not where you could be, but I'm growing. You are growing. You are forgiven. How about this one? You're free. You are completely free. John 8, 36. If you know the Son, the Son has set you free. What Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm just I'm battling sin. I'm struggling with all of these things. Well, you know what Jesus said? Uh, you're free. You're completely free. Yeah, but it's hard. It's just so tempting. It's so, the battle is, yeah, Jesus spoke. You're free. You are completely free. How about this one? Uh, you need not worry. You don't need to worry. Why? Because Jesus said you don't need to worry. Yeah, but my life, it's complicated, it's hard. Well, Jesus said, stop worrying. Why? Because you're more valuable to him than any of these things that we worry about. How about this one? You have a home in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. What has Jesus said? You have a home in heaven. That's where I'm bringing you. That's what I'm preparing for you. Now, this is not by any means an exhaustive list of all the things that God has said to us through Jesus, but the question would be, what are we doing with what God has said to us through Jesus? How are those things actually shaping us as a people, as a community? I know one of the things that we all need to grow in is that when we see each other, say you have someone who comes up to you and they're just like, man, if you just, I'm just so bogged down with anxiety and fear and worry, rather than, man, I feel your pain. It's got to be rough. Good luck. <laughs> we actually just looked at that person and say, man, I love you, but stop worrying. You are so much more valuable than all the things that you are worrying. Jesus told me to tell you to stop worrying. When you have someone who's just battling sin again and again and again, and they keep doing things that they don't want to be doing, but they keep going back to the same things that they never say. They, hey, I just want to encourage you. Jesus totally said you're free. He didn't say you're kind of free. He didn't say you're partially free. He said you're free. He has set you free completely. Yeah, but I got so much guilt and shame if you knew what I've done. Well, I don't care what you've done because Jesus said you're forgiven. I don't even need to know what you've done. 
And you need to stop dwelling in what you've done. Why? Because Jesus said something. Jesus said, I have forgiven you. What are we doing with what Jesus has said? If God has spoken and is still speaking, and he's speaking most profoundly, most clearly through Jesus, then what are we doing with what he said? So I want to encourage all of us as we walk through this season, this series together, let's not only excel in not, in not only listening to what God is saying, but then let's encourage and exhort one another towards that. I would encourage you, community groups, they're, they're, they're huge. Small pockets of people getting to, together say, hey, this is what God is saying. Let's encourage each other to live that out. I need men in my life who are going to tell me these very things. Michael, your value and your worth and your identity is so not based in what you do, in what you have. Michael, your identity and value and worth, you're a child of God. Well, I don't know if I am. Jesus said it. I need people in my life who will tell me that. And so do you. Midweek prayer. Every week, I didn't know if you knew this, but every Wednesday we get together from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. to pray together to encourage one another by praying for one another, by praying for our families, praying for our friends, our coworkers, our community, pray for our church. We need, why do we do that? Well, because he said it. It's on the wall. It's right there. Everyone look, right, th right there. Never stop praying. Jesus told us to pray. So it's not like a question, well, should, yes, you should, all the time. When? Always. Should I ever stop? No, never. Why? Well, because he said, never stop praying. So what are we doing with what Jesus, which it is, has said? I so want to grow in, in saying this is not just valuable, which it is, but we are just growing as stewards of doing together what Jesus has called us to do together. Now, we're going to continue in these just next few verses. Uh, the first thing I really wanted you to see, what the author wants us to see, uh, is God is speaking. He hasn't stopped. He's not quiet. He's not silent. He's actually spoken most clearly, profoundly through Jesus. The second thing the author would want us to see is simply this, and I encourage you to just write this down. Jesus is greater. He's greater. The author wants us to know from verse 2 on to verse 3 that Jesus is absolutely greater. Well, how about this? Yeah, he's better than that. How about, he's, yeah, he's greater than that. Come up with whatever list of things that you could possibly think of, and what we're going to learn in these next two verses is, yeah, he's greater than even any of those things. What about the perfect job, perfect? No, he's greater than all of these things. Hebrews, verse 2, verse 3. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the Son, he created the universe, and the Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by uh, the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. All right, so this is sometimes when you read like the opening verses, maybe even opening chapter in scriptures. You're like, well, that's just a great introduction. You kind of gloss it over. It's like, hey, how are you? This is who I am. This is where you are. Blessings on you. And I want you to see in the first three verses, specifically verse two and three, the author's like, hey, before we go any further, you need to know something about Jesus. 
You need to know that God is speaking, he has spoken, and he's still, he's talking. He's talking a lot. He's speaking a lot through Christ. Verse two and verse three, if he's speaking through us most profoundly through Jesus, then the author says, here's seven things you need to know. Isn't it amazing that in two verses we learn seven mind-blowing, heart-pounding, opening truths about Jesus? Number one would be this. It says, the author says, Jesus is the heir of all things. As a son of God, God has said, you are inheritance, everything is yours. There is nothing that you do not own. There is nothing that does not belong. You are the heir of all things. Paul, Apostle Paul, in uh, his letter to Ephesians, he so wanted that community to understand what it meant for Jesus who was the heir of all things, and we are his inheritance. He wanted them to understand the gravity of what this meant, and so he prayed. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people are his rich and glorious inheritance. What Paul was praying is, guys, I just so want you to see that of all of the things that he is heir over all of the things that belong to him, which is everything, you are his most prized possession. Everything belongs to the son and the son, but that's my most treasured, most prized possession is my son, is my daughter. Jesus is the heir of all things. Uh, Second amazing truth, Jesus is the creator of all things, meaning there is nothing that has been created that was not created by him. He is the creator of absolutely everything. Now, I was going to just boggle your mind with uh, all this crazy information about the enormity of our universe, and I'm going to. It's huge, right? We know our universe is huge. How do we know that? Speed of light. Light travels 186,000 miles per second, so the time it would take you to snap your finger, a ray of light can travel around the globe seven times. Sun, 93 million miles away from the earth, so when you feel the warmth of the sun on your face, it left the sun eight minutes prior. Scientists believe that the farthest object from earth is a tiny galaxy that is 13 billion light years away, which means... That galaxy is roughly 13 billion times 5.88 trillion miles away, because that's how far light travels in a year. 150 billion known galaxies. And when I say known, do you know how much of the universe has been actually explored? 5%. Not 5% of like 6%, 5% of 100%. So we know next to nothing about the universe, but what we know, 150 billion galaxies in the universe, and each galaxy contains nearly 400 billion stars. You can do the math on that. So when I see, when I read, when I hear Jesus is creator of all things, my mind is blown that he has created all of that. How about you personally? You possess three trillion cells all coordinated by the brain. In order for the body to work properly, all of these cells have to be in the right place doing the right thing at the right time. How, you ask? Good question. Hormones. Chemical messengers are sent from one cell to another, and when the hormones reaches the target cell, it attaches itself to the receptor molecule. But in order for it to attach its receptacles and hormone must match uh, because receptacle, 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 receptor molecules 
Hey, don't laugh at me. You're supposed to be like Jesus. Receptor <laughs> molecules are designed to react to one and only one specific hormone. It will not react to any molecule that is similar to the intended hormone. The receptor is hormone-specific. Three trillion. How about this? You have 131 billion photoreceptors in your eyes. You have 24,000 hair-like cells in your inner ear, which is gross. But if you didn't have that, you couldn't hear. So I have a long list. I'm not even reading all of it. But when I see that and I read that, my mind is blown at the simplicity of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. He's creator. There is nothing that we can see or can't see that Jesus says, well, I, I created that. John chapter 1, verse 3, God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. That's amazing. How about this truth Hebrews teaches? Jesus radiates God's glory. He doesn't reflect the glory of God as the moon reflects sun. He radiates or is the manifestation of God's glory. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, there is something called the Shekinah glory. If you want to see the glory of, look at Jesus. He's a manifestation. He radiates the glory of God. So the author uh, John, in his letter, John chapter 1, says, We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's amazing. You want to see the glory of God? Jesus is, he radiates God's glory. The fourth truth, Jesus is the image of God. If you want to know what God is like, well, just look at Jesus. If you want to know his character, if you want to know his heart, if you want to understand his mind, just, just look at Jesus. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm, I'm going to see the Father. Well, we don't know the Father. And Jesus so profoundly looks at his disciples in John 14 says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. There is no guesswork when it comes to God. There is not one person today who could be here like, I don't know what God is like. You do. Look at Jesus. I don't know what he's like. You do. Look at Jesus. He's loving. He is caring. He is kind. He is compassionate, seeks mercy, seeks justice. What's God like? Jesus is the image of God. That's what Hebrews, the author, tells us. The fifth thing we learn, Jesus is the sustainer of all things. He is holding all things together. You want to know how everything works? Jesus you want to know how everything in the universe and the cosmos at a macro and then at a microscopic level is actually held together? Jesus, he is the sustainer of absolutely everything. Colossians 1 says this, he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. So I don't want you to have this picture that Jesus is uh, like Atlas. You know, Atlas, the fake Greek god who is like holding the, um, the globe, the universe, like kind of struggling that is absolutely nothing like Jesus. Jesus actually holds you. He holds the universe. He holds everything he created in the palm of his hand and says, I got it. I am sustaining everything. The sixth thing, Jesus, our purifier, meaning Jesus has taken all of our sins, past, present, future, and has made us pure before God. Now, much of Hebrews chapter 1 through 10 is going to walk through how Jesus has made us pure before God. But in verse 3, it says, he's purified us from all of our sins. So what great news that you and I could say today with confidence, there is nothing that you've ever done in your past, there's nothing that you could do today, and there's nothing that you could do tomorrow uh, where you could be like, well, I don't know if that one's covered. Jesus is your purifier. 
Jesus has completely purified you so that you could stand before God and God smiles and say, you are a forgiven one. There is no wall, there's no barrier between you and I. Why? Well, because Jesus purified you. It says in Titus chapter 2, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, meaning purify us, to make us his very own people. The seventh amazing, mind-boggling, heart-pounding truth about Jesus, he's ruler. It's the last thing in verse 3 that it says about Jesus is he is ruler. Having done all that was necessary for us to be made right with God, what did Jesus do? He sat down at the right hand of God. And that is the picture that he is supreme. He's in control. He is ruling over all things. Now, again, we're going to see this played out in the rest of this letter, but I want you to hear the difference. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. So it's this picture of like these priests who are doing day after day after day, sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, standing, doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, but not Jesus. Our high priest offered himself to God as a single one sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And what did he do? And he sat down. He sat down at the place of honor. So when Jesus says, it is finished, he wasn't kidding. He did everything that he needed to do in his life and his death and his resurrection to make us right to sit down at the right hand of God as ruler over all things. Now, all of this is in the opening three verses of Hebrews. Isn't that awesome? That's just three verses. Three verses shed so much light on two things. God's, he's been talking, he's still talking, and he's speaking most clearly, most loudly and profoundly through Jesus. Verse one, verse two and three, and Jesus is greater. He's greater than absolutely everything. Now, as you go into verse 4, we start to, excuse me, get to an idea or a sense of, well, who is this audience that, that the author is addressing? Because if he's trying to communicate that God has spoken, is still speaking clearly through Jesus, and that Jesus is greater, well, then greater than what? What are they thinking about? What are they wrestling with that they would even be tempted to say, well, he's probably not greater than that? Verse 4, this shows that the Son, so everything that I just said in verse 1, 2, and 3, this shows that the Son is far greater than angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. And so you get some insight. Well, clearly these people had some angel worship going on in their background, in their past, in their context, in their culture they were often give themselves over to worshiping things like angels. And I realize that might not fit you. You probably didn't wake up this morning like, well, which angel should I worship? So I realize there might be a disconnect, but for these men and women, this is mind-blowing for the author to be saying, hey, I want you to know the angels that you might be thinking about, the angels you might be giving yourselves to, Jesus is greater than that. And so for us, I want to contextualize it a little bit. We might not be going backwards and saying, well, I have this. For them, it was, was angels. For us, it might be something very different. And when you think about it, 
This is first century Christianity. They were familiar with pain, suffering. They were familiar with persecution. And what I've found in my own experience, in my own life, and the experience of others that I've had the privilege to walk with, when pain comes, when suffering comes, when disappointment comes, you know what happens? We revert often backwards to the thing that is most familiar, the thing that's most comfortable. So for me, when pain, suffering, disappointment comes, I don't revert back to worshiping or giving myself to angels. But you know what I do? I revert backwards to performance. When things get hard, rather than declaring Jesus is greater than all of this, for whatever reason, I go backwards. Pain, suffering, disappointment has a way of not just tripping you up, but causing you to fall backwards. And when we do that, we just run to what's most familiar, what's most comfortable. And what the author of Hebrews would tell you is, yeah, but Jesus is greater than your performance, Michael. He's greater than your religion. He's greater than you and your pharisaical ways. He's greater than you being what you think was going to somehow get you through this. So for me, it's easy to revert back to performance. I would just ask, what about you? You might not revert back to angels, but what do you go back towards? What do you go back towards? When it gets hard, the author of Hebrews, what God is speaking, what God's spoken is, Jesus is absolutely greater than anything and everything that we could possibly go back to. He finishes chapter 1, verse 14, by saying this, therefore, and if you read chapter 1, and I encourage you to do that because I won't do that today, chapter 1 lists Old Testament verse after Old Testament verse after Old Testament verse, trying to show the people why the Son is greater than the servants. Angels are servants of God. They're real, they exist, but they're nothing like Jesus. Jesus is greater. And so he finishes in verse 14, Therefore, angels are just servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. But Jesus, you've learned seven things about who Jesus is. He's the heir, he's the creator, he's the glory, the image of God, sustainer, purifier, and ruler who is sitting at the right hand of God. So Jesus is greater than no matter what you could ever go back to and even run to, Jesus is greater than that. N.T. Wright uh, said this, once you see who the son really is, and the role he was always intended to play in God's plan. You won't, go, you won't want to go back to anything or anyone else. And that's just my heart for me. That if I would know what he has said, if I would know what he has spoken, and if I would see that Jesus is great, I won't want to go back to anyone or anything else. He goes on to say, pay close attention to who Jesus really is who he really is, not who we want him to be, who he really is. Again, heir, creator, glory of God, image of God, sustainer, purifier, ruler. Pay close attention to who Jesus really is, to the role he played and still plays in God's plan, and to the life of worship and service to which he and he alone calls each one of us. Pay close attention to Jesus and who he is and what Jesus has said. So as we close here this morning uh, with these, uh, this opening chapter, uh, I just want to ask maybe, uh, uh, I, I don't mean this to sound tongue-in-cheek, but so what? Let's be honest for a second. So what? So what that God's still speaking? So what that God is speaking through Jesus? So what that Jesus is, is heir, creator, glory of God, image of God, sustainer, pure? So what? 
how is that going to actually make a bit of difference when you go home this afternoon, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow? If you don't know how to answer the question of so what, then knowing something will not translate into life change, life transformation. And so for me, the so what of God has spoken, God is still speaking, and he's speaking most profoundly through Jesus. And this is who Jesus is according to chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Here is the so what for me. Doing all that Jesus says is the greatest thing we could be doing. Doing all that Jesus says is the greatest thing we could be doing. That's my so what. Because he's still speaking, and he's speaking to us through Jesus, and Jesus is greater than everything, then the so what is what Jesus is saying, there is nothing greater that you could be doing than doing the very thing that Jesus is telling you to do. So the obvious question, what is he telling you to do? For some of you, it might be as painful, but as profound as forgive. And if Jesus is telling you to forgive right now, that is the greatest thing you could possibly do with your life. Well, it's too hard. I I can't even imagine a life where I could possibly, if Jesus is telling you to do it, that is the greatest thing you could be doing. If Jesus is telling you right now, it's time to start serving. And I don't mean just at church on a Sunday, but start serving with your life, not consuming, not sucking, but serving. That is the greatest thing that you could do with your life right now. If Jesus is calling you to connect, it's time to come out of isolation. It's time to just stop like walking alone. And Jesus is saying it is time to connect. And connecting is the most powerful, most profound thing that you could do right now. If Jesus is saying get in a community group, I don't have time. I'm busy. That's my favorite TV show. Every night of the week, I I can't do it. If Jesus is saying it is time, then that is the greatest thing you could be doing. Why? Well, because God has spoken. He's spoken through Jesus, and Jesus is greater than everything. So no matter what Jesus is telling you, that's the best thing that you could be doing. So what is he telling you to do? What is Jesus telling you to do right now? Jesus is telling you to initiate with someone that has just been really hard to initiate with, that's the best thing you could possibly do right now. For some of you, and I don't know where all of you are on your your journey, but if Jesus is simply inviting you, come to me. Begin a relationship with me. Put down the religion, put down the morality, put down the spirituality, come to me. That is the greatest thing that you could do right now with your life. And this is the beauty every day. Jesus, what are you saying to me today? And that is the greatest thing I could be doing with my life that day. And I can have confidence that God is speaking every day. How's he speaking? He's speaking through his son. 